welcome to the IOD's Director's Briefing Podcast. This podcast is produced by the IOD's Policy Unit and provides timely updates, insights and commentary on the key issues of the day impacting business leaders. Hello, everyone. Uh, Welcome to this IOD Role Model podcast. I'm delighted today to welcome Julian Richer. Um, Hello, Julian. Hi. Um, Perhaps I can give the listeners a few highlights of your bio, which is is incredibly impressive, I have to say. Um, You're a retailer, a philanthropist and an author. And most people, I guess, would know you as the founder of Richer Sounds, which is the UK's largest hi-fi retailer. Um, But also many will have seen your recent articles in the Sunday Times, where you talk about a variety um, of business topics. Um, One thing that is really of interest to us today is the fact that you, in 2019, I think, launched the Good Business Charter um, to encourage positive business behaviour. And the IUD became actually the 1000th organisation to sign up to the Good Business Charter. So I'm really delighted that we can have a chance to talk about um, this today. But perhaps, Julian, I could begin by asking you a little bit about your background. I mean, you you know, you started your first shop. You opened your first hi-fi shop when you were 19 years old. You know, what are some of the key lessons that you've learned about business over the years? Ah, Well, very kind. Well, thank you for that kind introduction, Roger. Thank you for doing this today. And thank you for IOD members for tuning in. Yes, I was a veteran, of course, in 19, because I started my business actually at school when I was 14 with £10, and I learned a lot in those four years, five years before I opened the shop, actually. But um, only a shop was, was, was... When I opened my shop, I remember sitting by my desk on the first day, and I wondered why I'd waited so long to start my own business, because I was chomping at a bit to get on with it. But um, I've learned a lot, actually, in these... I'm 63 now, so I've been in it for decades, and, and nearly 50 years since I started at school. Um, and we, we've survived through um, um, recessions and ups and downs and crises and dramas and all sorts of problems that your typical SME goes through, particularly through its growth. And I've hung on to the business for that long. We actually did, uh, transferred 60%, I sold 60% to an employee ownership trust not that long ago. But for that great majority of time, I was very much, you know, riding the rough seas and, and getting us to where we are now. And I guess I've learned an awful lot in those years. Uh, the overriding thing I've learned, actually, is that it's all about the people. And what I mean by that is the huge difference in output uh, you will observe depending on how you treat uh, your, your staff. I think that's a really, really important thing I've learned. And, and if there's a problem in the business, you know, it goes back to that. You know, it's all about the people. We're going to get through this together and we, uh, we do our best to hopefully motivate and inspire the team around us. It's not always easy, uh, uh, you know, and um, the going gets tough, the tough gets going and all the rest of it. But we, um, it, it, the, people, the people in the business have such an impact on the success of that organisation. I think that, that's been, that, that's the overriding thing I've heard. Yes. So just to go back to the Good Business Charter, as I mentioned, you set that up in, in 2019. And some of the organisations that have signed up are, you know, big names like Aviva, the CBI, Deloitte, even the TUC has signed up uh, to the Charter. Um, what was your motivation for launching that? Okay, well, during all these years in business, one thing that used to annoy me was really about these monsters of the business world that would get the bad press. And uh, some were actually lionised for, the, for their tax-avoiding antics not that many years ago. But um, uh, on the whole, it was, it was awful. It was exploiting staff and ripping off customers. And, and, and it did upset me for three reasons. I mean, there's about five and a half million companies in the country. 
of which 99.9% are SMEs. You know, a large percentage of your members, I'm sure, are SMEs with, with less than 250 staff. Only 7,000 companies above that size. But the, the, the great majority of those 5.5 million, you know, are people working hard, decent people trying to make an honest buck. And these bad stories really used to wind me up, and I'm sure a lot of your members, um, for three reasons. One is I thought they were wrong. I thought, actually, if you treat your customers well, they all like to come back. If you treat your staff well, they're less likely to leave and less likely to steal. So that didn't make any sense to me. Secondly, these monsters would have a short-term cost advantage by paying their staff very little, because I like to pay my people well. Um, and thirdly, it made all the rest of us look bad, because people are wary of capitalism. And I'm going to just come to that in a minute, if you don't mind. But um, um, it made the rest of us look terrible. Journalists very rarely wrote about good businesses, right? Because it wasn't a good story. So when you look at capitalism, I started reading about it, um, and I discovered that there's not really a system that stood the test of time that's better than capitalism, but it's very much a double-edged sword. And, and capitalism is responsible for the worst abuses, exploitation, slavery, pollution in the history of mankind. I mean, absolutely appalling. But it's also responsible the things we, we like, we enjoy, we even love. So the issue, as I saw it, was to differentiate between good and bad capitalism. That's the challenge for us as a society, whether it's the whole world or just this country. And I wrote a book about that very subject called The Ethical Capitalist, but I'm more of a doer than a thinker. I'm not really an academic. You're a brilliant academic, so I'm not an <laughs> academic, so I know about your track record. But um, um, I, I'm more of a sort of doer. I never had the luxury of a further education. I wanted to get on with opening my shop at 19, so I didn't go to college. But um, I, I wanted to do something about it. So the next stage was to, um, um, uh, was to see if I could encourage responsible capitalism. And when I, when I thought about it, and in fact, the TSP did a survey, and they discovered that 97% of the public, okay, wanted to spend their money with responsible businesses, right, as we all do. The problem is the bad guys never said, don't shop here, we're horrible. You know, we don't pay tax in everything. So it's very difficult for consumers. They wanted to spend their money wisely, but they were unable to. So I felt what we needed was an accreditation system, a signpost, if you like, towards the good guys. And I think, um, I, I thought it was the, the right thing to do. They deserved it. Uh, the recognition that, that I guess I craved and I felt for them, they craved as well. But more importantly for consumers, to, to make sure that they would reward the good guys, uh, not just with recognition, but with their, with their money. And, uh, uh, and, and, and that's, I thought that was a, such an important thing to do. There was nothing else like it. So there are other things we can talk about, but we felt that um, and the way I wanted to do it would, would be a really good thing to do. And we had an amazing take-up. We announced it at the end of 19, as you rightly said. We actually launched the, the presentation live, I think, the 1st of February 2020. And we all sat by the phones and nothing happened because that was when COVID started, the worst time in history to start anything. Um, and we sort of scratching our head, wondering if we got it all wrong. And then as we came through COVID, uh, the phones started ringing. And people were really looking for, for something, an alternative. And in fact... I talk about bad capitalism, you know, I'm not just talking about, you know, slavery in ancient times. I'm talking about, you know, the sweatshops in the Midlands, you know, people were dying because they were overcrowded. These are people who weren't even earning the minimum wage. This is today. We have modern day slavery as well. I mean, an appalling condition. So it's as relevant now as it was then. Um, and I think people were, were looking for a better way. There was lots of abuse during COVID. We had uh, people thrown on a scrappy. We had uh, uh, particularly zero hour contract workers. They were really ignored and left to their own devices. We had um, a lot of people fiddling their, uh, the grant money. We had ugly profiteering, you know, and people dying. So, uh, as I just explained, so I think people were really thinking, you know, us taxpayers have funded businesses' support. A lot of people realise, you know, this doesn't come from a, a gold mine, oil well the government has or a coal mine. We've paid for this support to keep businesses going 
uh, maybe we should encourage, you know, maybe the bad businesses shouldn't get the same handouts, you know, uh, but everything happened in such a rush. So I think the public are sensitive to this more than ever. And I think uh, the time is right. And I say we've we, we've just chatted before, we've had 1,200 accredited organisations sign up to us, which we think is pretty fantastic. I'm impatient and demanding. I want a lot more than that, but it's a good start. Julian, I wonder what you think the balance is between this kind of accreditation scheme, which looks to companies to improve their performance on a voluntary basis, and the role of government in introducing new law and new regulation and, and to guide business in the right direction in that way. Well, I think the government should do much, much more. And uh, the analogy I use is of a football pitch. You know, if you didn't have rules on there, it'd be anarchy in 30 seconds. My mates tell me I'm not really into football. But we do need firm rules. You know, the wealthy corporations have the best advice money can buy. Every trick in the book they're aware of, not necessarily, you know, doing illegal things, but bending the law for their own benefit, which is not in the spirit, you know, uh, the rules were, were created. So um, um, now, because there's a huge majority in, in Parliament at the moment, and I say I'm non-party political, so, you know, good luck to them. It's very difficult to change things around. So I'd much rather come up with, I, I particularly designed my scheme, or the idea of my scheme was to go around government, because this does not, this is, this is self-perpetuating and it doesn't need government to set the rules. In other words, consumers, it's giving consumer power. I mean, after all, a lot of people feel government isn't that democratic anyway and gives disproportionate influence to a small number of people. Whereas this scheme is very much, you know, people, consumers, what will decide where they spend their money. So I really like the idea behind this. And and what we did at the beginning, you know, we phoned up the CBI and we said, look, you know, what do you think? We'd, we'd like you on board from the beginning. Uh, and I went along and had a cup of tea with Francis Grady at the TUC. And she said, well, good luck with that then. You know, trying to get businesses to pay the real living wage, all these things that, of course, the TUC want to happen. Uh, but she was very supportive and she put a top guy onto our board. So right at the beginning, uh, the CBI put um, Dame Carolyn, put her deputy on the board, Josh Hardy. So right at the beginning, we had um, um, representatives from the CBI, so across the political spectrum, and the TUC involved in coming up with the rules. And I was, it was a joy to see them work together, actually. Um, and, uh, 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 and it's worked very well. And I think it's important that we have that representation. So we're doing yes. our own thing. We're going around government. And so far, so good. Great. So maybe you could talk a bit about the specifics of, of how uh, the Good Business Charter works um, and, and what does it cost? For sure. So um, uh, it's really easy, but it's also really tough. So the easy bit is you can sign up in an hour. I mean, as long as you're able to sign up to our commitment. So come to the commitment in a moment. Um, the cost is diddly squat because my wife and I fund it all. So it's free to sign up, free the first year and heavily subsidised thereafter. For example, uh, an organisation with 50 employees will pay 25 quid a year. That's not per person. I mean, it's ridiculously cheap, OK? Uh, because, you know, we want people in. We want to get a critical mass. Uh, the value is ridiculous because when organisations sign up and they do a press release, they get amazing PR straight away. So it is an absolute no-brainer from that point of view. The hard bit is the commitment. So other organisations uh, might, you know, be, be more willing to take a low pass mark to get you in, whereas we're... We have, you know, you've got to get 10 out of 10. We have 10 commitments. If you're not doing them already, you have to promise to do them. And we're tough on monitoring. We're tough on enforcement because we feel it's got to be all or nothing. We think for consumers to have confidence, there's no good letting people in if they pay the living wage, but they don't pay their tax, for instance. They don't pay their bills on time. Well, they rip their customers off. So we have a 10 components that are non-negotiable, uh, but we make it cheap and easy as long as you can sign them. Sign up to them. Now, if you can't sign up to them, of course, we'll help you. We'll point you in the right direction. We won't do training for you and, and, and all the rest of it, but we'll put you in the right direction. What you find is a lot of good businesses might sign up to seven or eight, 
But because we've got 10 components which are mandatory, it, it moves the dial, it brings them along. At least everyone knows, therefore, when they see our logo, that everyone's that, that organizations have signed up to all 10. So we're really proud of that. We think, you know, having that high standard gives us real integrity. And are there any other similar organizations to this or similar accreditation schemes? And, and, and if so, why should people choose the business charter? <laughs> Because it's the best, obviously. No, I'm completely biased. Don't believe a word I say. No, there's some really good ones out there. I think it's a good work charge, isn't there, in Manchester? Um, we, we like the idea that ours is holistic and covers 10 components, not just work, other things too. Uh, the, the famous one out there is B Corporation, which has been going up for a lot longer than us. And we absolutely applaud anyone in this space, okay? Um, and we're very, very different to them. So theirs is much more of a self-auditing, development sort of relationship with a B core and it's great, but it's not what we do. So, um, uh, because you can get in there with, with less than, well, a last check, less than 50% score and they work with you to improve you. So from an accreditation point of view, it doesn't tell customers, you know, consumers that all the boxes are ticked. It tells them people it's a work in progress, which is fine and brilliant they're doing that. But ours is quite different. Ours is all or nothing, 10 components, customers uh, can, can, can vote with their feet, hopefully with confidence. And my dream, of course, is that in 10 years time, after high streets, businesses will be busy and they'll be the ones with our logos in the window and their logos on the van and their website. So, you know, there's a bit of a critical mass type time lag and, and the more we get out there, the better it's going to be. And we very much hope that IOD members will embrace it. As I say, we think it is a bit of a no-brainer, but I would say that, wouldn't I? Yes. IOD members typically are SMEs, um, exactly. with, I suppose, with a focus on the, the mid-market, medium-sized companies. Okay. Why specifically should that type of company sign up to the Good Business Charter? Well, that's exactly what I am, you see. My business is 500 employees. We're actually slightly bigger than 250, but we, uh, you know, we're turning over 200 million. We may be bigger than some of those, but you know, who doesn't want customer at the moment? Who doesn't want to take business from the competition? Particularly if we're working hard to do the right thing, if we're paying our staff higher wages, we're paying our taxes, you know, we're giving our customers that great service, it all costs money. So why not Why not let them join up the GBC, the Good Business Charter, and, and have a signpost customers to them? And customers, you know, might well be happy to pay a little bit more if they can rest assured, you know, they're a good business they're spending their money with. So I think it's, it's for everybody. I would, you know, I would say that, wouldn't I? But, you know, who, who wouldn't want a signpost directing consumers their door. I can't think of a, any situation where one wouldn't want that. And particularly that we're not charging tens of thousands of pounds a year for the privilege. I mean, you know, this is quite lucky for them that I've turned up willing to spend my money on this because I believe in it. So come and join us for a year. It's free. If you don't like it, of course you can go. But I think there'll be good benefits, good PR benefits. And uh, the whole thing is, is, is a virtuous circle. Well, uh, Julian, the IOD is very proud to be associated with the Good Business Charter. You know, we feel it's a thoroughly worthwhile venture. Brilliant. And um, for those IOD members that want to sign up, we'll provide details um, in, the, in the, the promotional material associated with this podcast. Um, but in the meantime, Julian, thank you very much for your time. And I wish you great success with the, the Good Business Charter. Oh, it's really kind of you. Thank you for, for your time and for putting it in front of ID members. And I hope lots of them will join us on this journey. No, thank you. Very, and thank you, ID, for signing up as well. Thank you very much. We hope that you have enjoyed this Director's Briefing podcast. Please do subscribe to our channel to ensure that you are kept up to date on our future podcasts. You can find more information about our work on our website at iod.com forward slash news and on our LinkedIn and Twitter profiles. You can also contact us directly via policy unit 
at iod.com.